Hello, I'm Morgan Rhodes. I am writing solo this week. Uh, my companion, my co-conspirator, uh, Oliver Wong, will be back. But you are listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about hot lava, combustible material. And today, we will be revisiting D'Angelo together and taking a deep dive into voodoo. You know what I'm saying? This is like a folk album, man. The natural progression from soul, the next step to soul was folk. Early Sly, a lot of early James Brown, a lot of early Funkadelli, Parliament, you know what I'm saying? A lot of early progression when the, when the music was just starting to change and, and the culture was changing. That is how Michael D'Angelo Archer described a thing of beauty called voodoo. The album, his second, released on New Year's Day 19 years ago, was a welcome sight after what was a grueling test of patience for those like myself who'd been wooed by a shy, smoldering young'un from Virginia who was quite nice with the Hammond organ. According to the album's sound mixer, Russell Elevato, the goal was to pay homage to the sounds of albums by Stevie, Marvin, JB, and Funkadelic by performing live and then recording everything to tape. To bring this concept to life, they needed both a soul and a spirit. And they had them. An old soul like D'Angelo, who was raised on gospel, but in the time of recording, had fallen in love with Sly, Jimmy, JB, and the blues. And spirit, the spirit of excellence that hovered in and around Electric Ladyland Studios, where both history and magic had been made. If this album was a color, it would be brown. Brown skin like the ancestors conjured up over 13 tracks. Brown like the dark liquor surely needed to accompany listening. Brown like Africa, the final track. Brown like the Soulquarians. Brown like me. Voodoo came into our lives at the apex of neo-soul. Heads were no longer internalizing pain, struggle, and strife or heartache. They were singing about it as Mama's Gun, The Colored Museum, and Firstborn Second would bear witness to. And like so many heat rocks discussed on this show before, this album tells us some things. Most particularly, it tells us a lot about spirituality, that it is both centered around ritual and relationship, that there's actually nothing new under the sun, and that perhaps those connected with making these tracks were servants of the spirit, like voodoo practitioners. And just like the album Star, Voodoo gave us something precious, a good thing that came to those who waited. And yes, a thing of beauty. How I describe Voodoo, an album released in the wee hours of the dawn of a new decade. Voodoo was the album pick of our guest today, Terrell Wallace, a.k.a. Tall Black Guy. I'm not sure who to credit for my discovery of our guest's music. I'd like to say I was always in the know, but then again, I, I always like to say that. But in the spring of 2012, I happened upon an EP called The Brazilian Chronicles and was changed when I heard this track.
Several plays later, I had the opening song for my set that night. I broke O Femme de Vayagem on the air, the studio phone started blowing up, and a fanship was born. Tall black guy was built in the Motor City, spent a good while in the UK, and is back stateside making his particular blend of magic that tastemakers get lit for. Influenced by Mad Lib and Primo, he's reimagined songs for Moonchild, Diggs Duke, Miles Bonnie, and other cool kids, and in the process racked up a gazillion plays and streams on these internets. Over the last couple of years, he's been one of the featured guests at Jazzy Jeff's Playlist Retreat, a musician summer camp where some of the best and brightest converge to collaborate. To put it mildly, he's good with the beats. Real good with the beats. Welcome to Heat Rocks, Tall Black Guy. How you doing? Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. So glad to have you. I have to ask you, um, how did you come to know this album? It came out uh, 2000. Tell me where you got it, when you got it. Okay, so this is in 2000. Yeah, I had just graduated high school. During that time, I mean, I was really into like a lot of the underground stuff. So like rockets and all that stuff. So I knew of D'Angelo's work from, you know, Brown Sugar and stuff like that. But I just seen the album, um, went to the store and bought it and was blown away. And I think I listened to it for literally like at least six months, like just nonstop. I don't even know how many times I played the 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 player player joint. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that day this this album was crazy and then right after that then Commons Like Water for Chocolate came out. Then Mama's Gun came out. Then Welcome to Detroit came. I mean like it was just so much music around that time though, but this one definitely stood out at least for me anyway. It's like the first of the batch of the mini albums that came out that year. Sure. If you can recall, um, and I know we're going back some years here because I can't believe that uh, that this album is just now celebrating 19 years. 19 years, 19 years, years right. old, right? If you can recall, what were your very first impressions? Like the first thing you said about the album, what were your first, like initial, first play, first listen? I mean, I just thought musically this was some other stuff. You know what I mean? Because there was a lot, you know, because back then people, you know, like at least in the soul stuff, they weren't really heavily relying on the live instrumentation. There's a lot of program stuff. So like it just sounded like really organic. And then obviously when you hear D'Angelo sing over it, I mean, it was that marriage between the music and his voice was just absolutely insane. And then you find out later, like they spent like five, anywhere from five to seven years just studying before they even actually made the record. Sure. There was some time because heretofore we had 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 brown sugar. And I remember thinking at the time, because I loved brown sugar, we actually had DJ Mona Lisa. um, She guested with us and that was her pick. So we spent a lot of time unpacking brown sugar. And there was a long, long wait, at least to me, from brown sugar to voodoo. How much were you into brown sugar, uh, the album, when that came out? Oh, uh, yeah. So you talking, so that had to come out, what, 94? 95. That would have been like a, a, in eighth grade or something like that. Sure. So it wasn't, um, wasn't as attached then. It wasn't as attached, and my understanding wasn't as much as it was when I got a little bit older. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, I knew dope stuff, but, you know, it really didn't capture me like that. I'm trying to think even what was even cracking at that time in 95. I think I was still heavily in the, like, Snoop real heavy. Okay. 
I still like soul. I still like soul music, but I, I remember at that time, like Snoop, like the Doggy Style joint was like that was my ends all to be all right there. Sure. With so much drama in the LBC, it's kind of hard being Snoop D O Double G, but I somehow, some way, keep coming up with funky ass shit like every single day. You talked about some of the production uh, in in the album, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. But first, I want to ask you about the album art, because we find we find sometimes when we sit down and talk to people that that stuff has a significance. This -hmm. is the time when uh, buying records and buying CDs was a big thing. Did you have any impressions of the album art itself, either the front side or, of course, the pictures on the back? I think at the time when it came out, I wasn't as I really didn't understand the the artwork itself like i like i mean when you look when i think because i had bought the cd so okay okay so i remember in the insert like it had all the, it had some beautiful women and i do remember that <laughs> but then it had but on top of that it was like some type of script or or some type of font of different things that they were saying in the back i couldn't really tell what it was i thought it was dope yeah you know what i mean and then obviously when like later then they showed like the sessions and what he you know what they did to actually go to make the record can't remember exactly what did they go to Brazil to make that? Uh, I think they made it here, but I think they drew largely on. Of course, the the title of the album is Voodoo, which is a, Voodoo. a spiritual practice uh, right. d- developed from the traditions of the African diaspora, of course, right, and uh, has a great tie between um, Caribbean and and African traditions and Catholicism right. and such. A largely misunderstood. Um, religion and maybe a surprise for some people because D'Angelo grew up in a in a religious um, yeah he's a Pentecostal family. he's a Pentecostal right? yep a Hebrew Pentecostal and so I I remember thinking looking at the artwork like oh because it looks it looks like there's a part where he's dancing which reminds me a lot of you know mm-hmm. the scriptures David David dancing before the Lord but also too you've got you know a um, a woman that's her eyes are closed in a trance like movement right and then yep. and then drums. Which is something I do want to get into is the drums and percussions uh, (laughs) on this album. I know you and I've known you for a long time. And Mm -hmm. I love um, how many drums appear in your remixes and how you tend to pull drums from what you sample. What appealed to you about this album musically, specifically in the areas of percussions? I mean, if you got this album around that time and you were just learning how to make beats, Questlove did a great job of letting you listen to the album and get all the kicks and snares, percussion. I mean, he I think he knew what he was doing when he did it. Sure. And um, but yeah, just the textures of the drums and the, the, the different snares and all that type of stuff. I remember I know on Chicken Grease in the beginning of it, it's a snare that is like famous for like a lot of like more of the major ma- mainstream pop songs. But it came off of Chicken Grease. That's the one right there. Uh huh. <laughs> Everybody's used that snare before, yo. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's been on so many. It's been on. Uh, I don't even want to talk. I don't even want to speak his name. I mean, we already. Oh, sure. His, sure, yeah. sure. You sure. know, the homie that don't nobody like right now. Right. Brother, sure. Famous dude. But Chingy used it. I mean, it was it's so many people that didn't use that snare. Track masters they they put that snare on fire. So you know, but yeah, like the whole album it was just full of gems. And that 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 song, of course, D'Angelo and also James Poyser, who is yeah. essential 
uh, to the Soulquarians. Um, we're going to mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about the Soulquarians as we get into this thing. But I wanted to um, bring up a comparison. And one is that, and if you could talk a little bit about it, you've been involved of late with the Playlist Retreat. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain a little bit about the Playlist Retreat for people that don't know? The vibe, the gathering, etc. Basically, um, Jeff, this is before I had met him, he had this idea where he wanted to like to connect producers with the DJs, like the cats that, you know, the 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 DJs that go and break these records and these, you know, in the in the form of clubs and festivals and things like that. And he wanted to combine that with the cats that made it. So like the producers and things. And he just wanted to have like a little powwow, you know, at an undisclosed place. And that's basically the gist of it and how it started he ended up getting some music from one of his DJ friends, but it happened to have my good friend Stro Elliott music in there. And then mine's was he 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 found some stuff for me, and from that that kind of had the ball rolling. And then yeah, it's been going for like five years now, which is absolutely insane. But that's basically the vibe of it, where you just come over, jam, eat, family vibe, and you do that for four to five days <laughs> straight. I'm bringing it up because there's it, it's such a gathering of, yeah. of of a who's who of talent and not just um, producers and DJs, but also uh, singers. I know you have Mamuna there. And I'm bringing it up because it's very it's very reminiscent of the Soulquarians. And <laughs> yeah. th- right. And them putting a lot of talents uh, in the room. And for those that don't know um, about the Soulquarians, the Soulquarians, um, they squatted up there at Electric Lady Studios, which is very famous for uh, Jimi Hendrix and his albums. And they were comprised of a lot of talents, including Questlove. We got Bilal. We got... Mm-hmm. Uh, Roy Hargrove, Common, Erica Badu, uh, Poiser, uh, Pino yeah. Palladino, um, and, and such. And they got together and produced not just Voodoo, because they're all over Voodoo, and that also includes Jay Dilla, as you mentioned. But they also did The Roots, Things Fall Apart. I know you, one of your picks to talk about was Common's Like Water for Chocolate. They were behind that yeah. album. They yeah. were behind uh, Slum Village's Fantastic uh, Volume 2 and once you know all of those albums that they produced, there's a lot of common themes amongst all those albums. Percussion is one. You mentioned at mm-hmm. the top of the interview, instrumentation, which is heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, saxophone, Roy Hargrove is all over this. And, uh, and of course, a style of mixing like soul and jazz and hip-hop. And, and I asked mm-hmm. you to talk about the Playlist Retreat because I think this is the closest we've come of late to having a like-minded collective where you put mm-hmm. a lot of different talents, singers, songwriters, producers in, in a room. And I think you guys, I don't know if you're doing it this year, but I know last year you came up with an album, right? Or you put an album together? Oh, uh, yeah. I actually was so crazy you just asking that. I actually just came back from there maybe a couple of days ago. Kind of the same idea. It's a little different approach than it was from the last, from the Chasing Goosebumps. Sure. Um, but the, the artist this time is with Maimuna. Maimuna Yusef. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah crazy on the mic yo she can rap and she can you know get you know sing as well so you know search for the answers we'll take what they hand us who's gonna stay with me please 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 don't forget about how me a question about um voodoo what do you hear in the album if any 
that has an influence on your sound and your production, how you do music? For voodoo? Yeah. I would say the ins- instrumentation for sure, because I kind of employed it a little bit later. Sure. But yeah, I could, pro- I could, I could, I could definitely say probably the live instrumentation um, is a big thing. Like I, I try to do it a lot more now. I don't. I mean, I still sample, but it's more for like texture and button. Like all the other stuff is usually either I add it or I'll get some, you know, a musician to come in and add in the flavors. It was great songs too, though. It was really great songs. Can you talk a little bit more about when you say texture? What do you mean by that? Texture, I mean, because the thing is, like, when you have these these records that came, you know, before me, like, you know, in, like, 1975, and I'm listening to this Amar record, like, that recording right there, like, we can't reduplicate that, but the texture of it and the chorus and all that stuff is a, is a good base to start with. Right. You know what I mean? And like you can at least be influenced by it to to create something that can be like it, but you can't do the same thing. But I just like I'm obsessed with that, with the, a lot of the, the, the 70s stuff. You know what I mean? Because right. the sound, the sound of it is just so, you know, it's just so crisp and clean. You know what I mean? And then warm, it's the warmth to it. I mean, these songs are long by comparison to, to today. Play a play it is seven minutes long. Right. Yeah. The, the shortest song on here is still like four and a half minutes, and that would be mm-hmm. considered a long song today. Oh, yeah, of course. So, so, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A really yeah. long song. Like, sort of, you know, if we can get three minutes out of an artist now, we just, we praise God for that. But I understand. The, the, yeah. These songs are very long, and I think that has to do a lot with the instrumentation. And I want to get yeah. into some of these tracks because you mentioned that you listened to it incessantly when you first got it. Yeah. Did you listen to it cover to cover without skipping a track? Oh, of course. Yes. Okay. I, I still can do that today. Shoot. <laughs> really? You can still do the day. You can still listen to Voodoo today and still not skip. That's what you call a great album. Absolutely. No disagreement yeah. there. Was there a song that stuck to you more than others? Oh, man. Probably Spanish Joint. Spanish joint was one, and then I just love the line. The line was my joint. Yeah, the line was my joint. One of the songs I remember I am taking the lyrics and writing to a girl. But <laughs> okay, we got to we, we got to hear that. Listen to our black guy. This uh, heat rocks is a safe space for confessions. All right, you got to tell us about that. It was a uh, it was one more again. Ooh. Yeah, and I ended up taking 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 some of the, the I don't I mean I don't know it off the top of my head, but I remember I ended up, I ended up lifting some of the some of the the the, the, the first verse to write to my. Then, then girl, I was digging or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. I know some things have changed since the last I seen you. Some good, some for the bad, baby, bad, baby. How'd that work out for you, brother? 
Oh, it was it, it worked. Okay, all right then. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> success. Right. Uh, Spanish Joint was actually um, the second song I fell in love with. It is tempo wise. It's different from a lot that we hear uh, on mm-hmm. here. And I think I thought because of the title that it was going to be more Spanish. Yeah. Um, but it's so soulful. Of course, this it's is soulful. Like, yeah. Super, super soulful. This is not to say that Spanish music isn't soulful, but it sounds ve- very yeah. much um, R&B soulful in a way that I wasn't expecting um, based on, you know, you know, based on the title. But I know yeah. that there's a lot of, uh, you know, diasporic mu- music is diasporic music. And there's a lot of cro- crossover between um, Afro-Cuban, Afro-Peruvian, Afro-Spanish. Mm-hmm. You yourself have dabbled into uh, to Brazilian music many, many times in your own projects. What appealed to you about Spanish Joint? I mean, it was the I mean, it was just the initial the percussion, you know, and the tempo was a lot different than anything he had released, you know, that he released before and sure. then on this album. Right. When the bass comes in. Mm. And then it just they just let the you just let the rhythm kind of catch you for a little bit and then he comes in with the verse. That's, that's this definitely one of my favorites. There's a lot of that on this album. And I think the patience um, with where the song starts and mm-hmm. even how D'Angelo himself rides the beats uh, with his own vocals have has a lot to do with the fact that this is live instrumentation. Yeah. It's the time that you take and the patience that you have because you've got all those instruments and musicians in a room. Yeah. Whereas now, after a few, you know, a couple of bars and maybe some oohs and ahs, that's the song which is hard yep. because you know you only got three minutes anyway. So this is, uh, I, I thought this was a great build of the song. Spanish Joint is uh, is one of my favorites. I played it down on the radio. I'm sure <laughs> my listeners were probably like, please, please, Morgan, please don't play Spanish Joint again. Uh, but it was one, one of my favorites. Um, the song that I, I did listen to this cover to cover, I bought this album at Virgin Records. Nice. Uh, in West Hollywood wow. on Sunset. I didn't buy it when I when it came out. I bought it on my birthday. I got a, a gift card to Virgin Records. My birthday is in February. So right. um, I couldn't wait to get this album. And I listened to it, um, but I got stuck on Great Day in the Morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, that song yeah. in particular, I hear Jay Dilla all over and that drum. It isn't just that it's drums. It's a particular type of Dilla drum, as you well know, mm-hmm. which is so precious and heavy, not overdone, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. enough to accentuate the point. It's like it's almost like Jay Dilla puts everything in bold. His <laughs> drums, right? Put everything in bold. Yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, he coached. I mean, he coached Quest to a T. Oh my god! You know gosh. what I mean? Yeah, he coached him to a T, and they and and Quest he got it because you know Quest was more on the grid, so he didn't even understand. You know, you know, a little bit more lackadaisical. You know, almost like you're kind of lazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it makes sense. I mean, that's what actually sounds good to the natural ear, you know, when you really think about it. When you're looking for things to to sample, is your is your attraction the drums? Is that your first point of entry? My ear now goes straight to chords. Really? I'm a chord fanatic. Yes. Drums are they're the color for sure, but I, I particularly look for the chords because then I know where I'm gonna take the drums. You know what I mean? But I'm in search for those chords that make you, you know, just cringe and like, yo, what is that? Because it does some type of major to minor type of situation. You know what I mean? It's just the heartfelt of it, though. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm really attracted to chords, for sure. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Heat Rocks. Don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we're the hosts of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners regardless of quality or content with in-studio guests and callers from all over the world. And you can win a custom a magnet. A custom magnet. Subscribe now to make sure you get our next episode. What's an example of a game, Manolo? Pokemon or medication. How do you play that? You have to guess if something's a Pokemon name or a Medi- medication. medication. First-time listener, if you want to listen to episode highlights and also know how to participate follow dr game show on facebook instagram and twitter we'd love to hear from you it's really fun for the whole family we'll be every other wednesday starting march 13th and we're coming to max fun snorlax pokemon yes nice Pop Record Panel, we have just 30 seconds to prove to Max Fun listeners that we know what the F we're talking about when it comes to pop culture. All right, you guys, let's go. Famous Chris's. Walk-in. Christofferson. Hemsworth. Karen, what's the most iconic lesbian snack? The wings at Hooters. The answer is fried green tomatoes. Margaret, what is the Marvel Cinematic Universe missing? (laughs) My interest. Winter, name someone who will EGOT in your lifetime. Ike Barinholtz. That's beautiful. Top Gear or Top Model? Sadly, I have to say Top Gear. The clear answer is Top Chef. But Top Model taught us about smizing. Pop Rocket. Smart takes on everything. Catch us every Friday on Maximum Fun. Let's get into, let's get back into the album and talk a little bit about how successful this album was. Not only was it a personal jam for me and you and uh, most of Black America, but the critics loved it. All right? It got the Grammy uh, for best R&B album that year. Uh, mm-hmm. Rolling Stone has listed it as one of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Pitchfork uh, has it as one of the top 200 albums of the 2000s. So mm-hmm. he burst on the scene with Brown Sugar. He gave us voodoo. And then we waited. For 15 years? Was it about 15, 16 years? A 15-year like wait. For Messiah, we always joke around the music business that there are very few artists that can afford to take breaks um, in between albums like this. And if you take a break, they have to be fantastic. Sade is one. Sade does something every eight or nine years. That's why she, she <laughs> doesn't bother she you. Do that. No. <laughs> um, no. But one of the things, one of the changes between Brown Sugar and Voodoo, which was significant, is he started playing the guitar. Yes, he did. Um, he yeah. started playing the guitar. Uh, 
Brown Sugar's claim to fame or his his particular introduction to us all was the world of the Hammond B3 organ. And if you didn't yeah. grow up in church or grew up outside of church, um, you wouldn't be as familiar with that in- instrument. Um, Not at all. In an interview, he said that um, when he was coming up in the church, he was told um, when you get up there and play, you play w- without no form or no fashion, which in layman's terms is you just play uh, you just imbue the spirit free. that comes within you and you don't right, do you're free. For, right and you don't do it for yourself between brown sugar and voodoo he learns a lot about the guitar specifically by hanging out with Jesse Johnson mm-hmm. uh, and Raphael Sadiq um, you can hear a lot of guitar on here but I think where you hear it the most um, is left and right <laughs> Now at the time, Method Man and Red Man were killing. Yeah, they just had dropped the uh, the rock roller. They yeah. sure had. They sure had. Yeah. So it was it was nice to hear them on this production. Left and right, yeah. he said. One of the things present on this album was a lot of rock chords. Um, he yep. wasn't as familiar with the bass guitar, but was getting into the bass guitar and then mm. the guitar. Left and Right um, is one of my favorite songs on here. And I didn't think I could love it anymore until <laughs> I heard it reinterpreted. By who? <laughs> By a beat maker and a producer named Red Astaire. And if you dream to be free, I can take you there, just follow me. A lot of us were playing that on the air for a while. That thing bangs from start to finish. It's right. interesting the parts of the song that he took from it, and he released it on a record label called Gam. Uh, records and uh, they do a lot of uh, interpretations interpolations of songs and that was one of my favorites he took it to a different really different direction it sounded like he got it off of the uh, the live album that's what it sounded like the vocals it does sound like that but at the end of it I mean he had to put out a clean version and he put out an explicit explicit version and the explicit version features the vocals of Method Man and Red Man Uh Method Man and Red Man Let's let's talk a little bit about D'Angelo and him as a sex symbol. And let's talk about that in relationship to Untitled. Did you see mm-hmm. the video for Untitled? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah it, was, it, was a, it was a great video. It was I a mean. great video. <laughs> it was a great video. But I remember and a dope song too. A, a very, very dope song. I need a moment. You know what I mean? Just thinking about thinking back about it. Give me a moment, Christian, to pull myself together. Um, There's a a great debate about did D'Angelo really want this to be become a sex symbol outside of that? Was this meant to be that or was it unintended? I think it depends on your perspective and how you feel, uh, you know, mm-hmm. about that. I think I think on the one hand, coming from a religious background, as we know about him and as what we've heard about him being um, a really shy guy, it's easy to believe that this might not have been his decision. This might not have, mm-hmm. he might have been in favor of that. 
But however, the song is called Untitled How Does It Feel? And the subject matter leads me to believe that at the very least, he knew that this was going to be a very intimate, sexy, right. uh, you know, sexual song. Maybe he didn't intend the video. But I like the song because of its similarity to uh, a lot of Prince songs. And as we know about D'Angelo, he is a huge Prince fan. And in fact, he covered uh, Prince's uh, she's always in my hair. Always in my hair. Yeah. Uh, there are similarities, and I want I want us yeah. to listen to uh, to both versions. If we could listen to both. Whenever my hopes and dreams are aimed in the wrong direction, she's always there, telling me how much she cares. Always in my She's always in my head. Love the two. I think uh, D'Angelo's has a, sort of a grimy, uh, yeah. a grimy element that takes it to a different yeah. place. But he has said on more than one occasion that Prince was a heavy, heavy um, influence uh, on him. To make your point, on, to run your point on that, she's that she's um, in my hair joint. It's a remix out by one of my good friends, Fourteen KT. Ooh. That I ha- I have to send you this joint. But when I say that KT captured all of the emotion in that joint, yo. Oh, that joint is so sweet. Did I gotta send it to you, though. I have to send it to you. You got to listen to that. That's fire. (laughs) What do you think this album offers that we can't get today in production or that production today is lacking in your in your own opinion? This this album would be kind of hard to make now because people the patience. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like you ready to get something now. It's like they sat with this record, you know, with all this stuff for five to seven years before they even released. Right. You know what I mean? And. In today's time, that would be too long. Like they were, like as soon as you put out a record, when's the next one? Right. And that's in like three months. When's the next one? When's the next one? You know what I mean? So it's oh, it's just everything now is so disposable. You know, you don't let like you don't let records just you don't sit and breathe with records for over a year. Let you know, I mean six months, let alone a year or 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 even more though. You know what I mean? So I think also too. Because of the fact that we're not patient, I mean, patience is is one thing, but we're not patient as listeners. No, no, no. If you're not back in a couple of years, we are quick to declare you washed, mm-hmm. and we're quick to move on. Um, and and I and I can't remember the last album that I've sat with and listened cover to cover. Mm. This one to me has has really no no skippable tracks. But if there is a track on here that you think is a sleeper that doesn't get the attention that it's due. Or doesn't get as much hype. Is there a track on here that you think doesn't get the attention that it's due? No, I think. I mean, I think you have to. I. I don't think you can really single out any one track. For me, my my own personal opinion, I think you have to listen to it from 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 song one to song thirteen. Like I, like you have to do that. You have to do yourself justice, and you have to listen to this record from front to back. I think you're so full with the first twelve tracks that by the time you get to Africa, you're just so worn out. <laughs> because the because the album is just so much fire when you get there, yeah. But, but Africa's not the one to skip. 
It's you can't gorgeous. Skip It's the benediction. Yeah. <laughs> It's the benediction. You yeah. have been in a service with D'Angelo, with the Soquarians. Uh, you've been with Method Man, Red Man, Angie Stone, Roy Hargrove, mm. uh, Raphael Sadiq. And by the time you get to this, it is, the, it is D'Angelo pronouncing the benediction on this album. He's given mm-hmm. everything. Um, it is his prayer. And it very, very much feels like a complete a complete um, work. I had the opportunity to see him while he was pushing Messiah. We'll talk a little bit about Messiah, but... He, I was in the bleeders. You know, I'm not ashamed to say I, I had one of the cheap tickets. I mean, I was so, so far back. I just, I couldn't even see my future. Okay. <laughs> But at some point, the way that he broke the band down, it became two concerts. It was just D'Angelo right. with the band and it was just the band. And both elements were so full that it was like, it could have been just one group, the Vanguard, which is his band for Messiah. And mm-hmm. it could have been just D'Angelo. And he yeah. he did it so, the way that he ended the show was, he had the band, and one band member left one at a time until it was just him. So each singer left, and then the drummer left, and then the bass yeah. player left until it was just him. And yeah. he did a really long ad lib. It might have been a 10 or 15 minute ad lib with just him and the band, just the instrumentation. And so it drew me right back into voodoo and the making of voodoo and all these elements that we've been talking about and then my sadness because i thought i don't know that we'll have another moment like this another album like this which is just full for good for Mm -hmm. bad or for whatever i think this is a um this is a moment in time where yeah you know we won't get back there again did you find yourself as engaged with messiah as (sighs) this this is the thing i like it just because i'm a fan You know, what I mean, and I had actually got some of those songs because, you know, it's a lot of those. Some of those songs are like over over yeah. 10 years or more. And yeah. I, I remember I had some of them, you know, because, you know, obviously he was putting everybody. He was getting everybody's hopes up about, you know, possibly putting out the, the, the new record. You know, what I mean, so I just kept on that hope. Then when I actually listened to it, like I love it for the instrumentation. It's even crazier than 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 voodoo. The only part I'm not really enjoying is the fact that you cannot hear what he's saying. Right. I can't right. hear what he's saying. He's not very clear. His clarity right. is off. It, you know? it's, ve- it's very muted. And I've been yeah. wanting to ask if I ever, ever had a chance to sit down with him. Was that on purpose? The sound is very muted. And I didn't know if it was supposed to feel like an echo because it sounds like an echo. Yeah. And it is really hard to uh, to figure out what he said. I mean, I love... My jams on there are obviously A Thousand Deaths um, and mm-hmm. The Charade. And I think a lot of what's going on in his world and his observation of what was going on in culture. Um, prayer. Po- right, prayer, politics, and society. So it very much feels like a, an echo. And, of course, the songs are way shorter um, than this. Yep. But yep. At, but to your point, 
I'm a tried and true D'Angelo fan. Yeah, um, I mean, you can't not not be so. With that, you have to support this brother. Even you know, I can I could still deal with him taking as long as time. Now, do I want something else that you can actually hear him? Of course, but sure. I'm cool with him just doing those two records. He's made one of my top five albums of all time, though. You know really? So, oh yeah. You can, so so Voodoo's in your top five. Oh yes, most definitely. Can I ask about some of the others? Uh. I would have to think about that because it's, 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 it moves around a bit. Okay. You know what I mean? But, um, voodoo, but Voodoo stays on the voodoo's, list. Voodoo is going to always stay in there. It has to. Is this album, was this album right on time? Was it ahead of its time? Or is it timeless? Just when you think of Voodoo in general. I mean, you, think- you can't really, no, you can't. Up until that time, up in, up until 2000, I mean, there wasn't really, I mean, outside like the stuff in the 70s, you know what sure. I mean? Like, but I'm just saying, I'm like, I'm born in the 80s, so like, Anything from my generation upwards, we had never heard nothing like that before. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And um, I mean, it's it's a timeless joint for sure. But at the time when it came out, I mean, it it was it you know at least in the the, the soul and the, you know what dope hip hop was at that time. This fit right. It this fit right into the mix. Right into if, the mix, and and it still goes. And yes. So in in my opinion, it's timeless. Because yeah. to your point, as you said, you know, you can go back and listen to, you can listen to this right now, and it still goes. I, no. I put th- I put this on um, in preparation for this chat, and it sounded just as fresh as when I heard it uh, when it came out uh, January 11th of 2000. When's the last time you listened to this album? Uh, today, in prep today for the chat. Today was the last time it was prepped for today. You haven't listened to it any other time other than that? Oh, no, no, no. I always listen to it because, as I said... I played Spanish Joint on the radio and is a part of my set in every station I've been on, and I've been on four, okay? Right. And everywhere that I've gone, Spanish Joint was always, always, always a part of it. Uh, and mm-hmm. I love Send It On. I love The Root. My favorite on here is Great Day in the Morning, and that's just a jam that gets played all the time. It's a mood album. Um, yeah. You know, when I'm feeling you know, a certain way or feeling really melancholy or I want to think or even if I want to write, I play this mm-hmm. album. Uh, D'Angelo said uh, in one interview that the, some of the best musicians come from the church. And I think... I can, both, say, I, I can say that. Yeah. Yep, yep. I grew up in the church too. And I know yeah. a lot of people that have, you know, made that transition. You know, there used to be a time where you, you didn't want to tell anyone that you were playing secular nah. music. Secular music? Secular music was just, uh, yeah. that was not cool. But But I do think that there is... Um, a lot to be said about growing in the church and learning how to play church music and making that transition. And uh, no matter what album, be it Messiah, uh, Voodoo, or Brown Sugar, you still hear mm-hmm. that Hammond B3 and those gospel yep. chords. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. had to describe this album in three words, what would they be? <laughs> Can I curse? Yes. Awesome as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Tall black guy with us, um, joining us to talk about 
an album that has just turned 19 years old. Jeez. 19 years old. D'Angelo, Michael Archer, and this thing of beauty called Voodoo. Um, so glad we had a chance to sit down and talk to you about this. Can you let us know what you're working on now? What's coming up next for you? Um, Actually, I'm... Actually, I have to put together this instrumental. It's an intern between my actual official like record. I have to put together something for Fat Beats. I'm gonna be a part of this uh, producer series called Baker's Dozen. Okay. Um, and basically, it's just like unreleased instrumentals I've had. You know, I've never put out or stuff I've put out and don't know. You know, obviously because of the way how music goes, where it you put it out and then it kind of falls to the wayside. So I'm just putting a collection of joints I had in all on one record. Um, so I've been working on that. So that hopefully should come out sometime in the beginning of summer, midsummer. Where can people um, get in touch with you on socials? What are your social media handles? Uh, Twitter is Sir Tall Black Guy. Um, Instagram is Tall Black Guy Productions. Facebook is Facebook backslash Tall Black Guy Productions. Pretty much if you just Google Tall Black Guy Productions, I'll come right up. That's it. Tall Nigga, black I'm, guy. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm on all of them: uh, Instagram, SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook. Everything. Tall black guy representing the city of Detroit. Uh, it was a wonderful day when I came to know his music, as I was a, a DJ there on KPFK. It has blessed me, as it will bless <laughs> you. So find him on iTunes, Bandcamp, and all digital stations, and get into what he's doing. Thank you so much for being with us to talk about this gorgeous album, Voodoo. Thank you, Sister Rose, for having me on the show. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Morgan Rhodes. Oliver Wong will be back next week. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. And shout out to Thess for that hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Oliver alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles where you can always find a slice of <laughs> of that devil's pie. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group and on our webpage, heatrockspod.com. That's where we'll post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and more goodies. Again, that's at heatrockspod.com. We want to thank all of our social media fans and family out there, including the following. Lene Cook, thank you so much. Uh, we also want to thank Karen Thompson. They gave us a little shout out. Thank, a shout out to Karen. Thank you, Karen. We want to thank Ross Grady. We also want to thank Tech Exec Crystal. Shout out to Tech Exec. Love that. We want to thank Podcast Playlist. Um, thank you for the love. We also want to thank Destin for Greatness. We want to thank Shelly Has Opinions, as always, for the love. We also want to thank Christopher Pepper. And we were also featured um, in a, on a podcast called the Bowie Book Club podcast, especially for our episode on Young Americans. Thank you so much. We do so appreciate the tweezies and the retweezies. One last thing. Here's a teaser for next week's episode featuring Nick Waterhouse talking about Any Other Way, the anthology of the late and the great Jackie Shane. To treat these people as content or entertainment is paramount to what was going on uh, at the time, you know. A lot of this was a commercially um, churned out good, even though there was a ton of artistry going into it. Right. So I think the context, especially with people dipping out of working anymore, choosing to 
sit out after a series of bad experiences or discrimination. You know, it's having your things released in 2019 as somebody that is, uh, again, speaking about the power of otherness. Yeah. It's different than in 1967, right? Right. And even if Jackie was incredibly strong, um, she could have given that speech and walked home and, and been assailed 10 more times that night. And maybe that was the reason to stop. Yeah. I think that that's actually just part of the dialogue of how we're going to have to engage with this music. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.